from UWM. It's Partners for Health, a podcast about health, research, and everything in between. Each episode, you'll hear a conversation from two different health researchers about their passions behind what drives them and how they got to where they are. Partners for Health is an initiative between the College of Health Sciences, the College of Nursing, the Helen Bader School of Social Welfare, and the Joseph J. Zilber School of Public Health, all at the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee. Additional recording facilities are also provided by the UWM Libraries. This podcast was recorded and produced in the good land of Milwaukee, Wisconsin. On behalf of the producers and all the scholars that we feature on this podcast, thanks for tuning in. Welcome to Partners for Health. I'm your producer, Carrie Wade, health sciences librarian at the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee Libraries. Today's show is going to be a little bit different because of the way our researchers wanted to do things. So instead of having that full conversation broken up into two parts, there are going to be two separate interviews. It's going to be between Dr. Helen Meyer from the Joseph J. Zilber School of Public Health and Dr. Dimitri Topitsis from the Helen Bader School of Social Welfare. So the way that they're doing things is that the first show will be Dr. Dimitri Topitsis interviewing Dr. Helen Meyer. The second show, they'll trade places and Dr. Meyer will interview Dr. Topitsis. So it's kind of a fun twist on how we've been doing things. We really appreciate the effort that our researchers have gone to to put their own spin on things. Many thanks to my co-producer, David Fraser, from the Centers for Urban Population Health, which is a collaborative initiative between University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee, University of Wisconsin-Madison, and the Aurora Health Centers. First up, to introduce our interviewers, I'm just going to talk a little bit about Dr. Helen Meyer's research, since that's who we're focusing on today. She has been with the Joseph J. Zilber School of Public Health since 2016 and does some really fascinating research on social and environmental determinants of immune function in later life and how those alterations in immune function impact healthy aging. So she really does a lot to look at these social determinants of health and how some of these socioeconomic factors, as well as environmental factors, affect later life trajectories. She's an epidemiologist and has investigated lots of life course models where that socioeconomic position has affected immune function, and as well as the way that birth and acculturation affect some of these later life models. So really, really fascinating research. You'll get to learn a lot more about Um, a lot of these kind of polysyllabic words that she engages with. But if you want to know what the real kind of bullet points of her work are, it's social and environment determinants of immune function later in life, life course epidemiology, immune function and healthy aging, and immune aging. And you'll get to find out um, how she got to this point and her whole kind of educational trajectory. It's really fascinating and it's really fun. And Dimitri Tapitsas does a really great job engaging with her. It's a lot of fun. And I think you'll enjoy these two researchers sitting down and having a conversation. So enjoy this first part of an interview with Dr. Dimitri Tapitsas from the Helen Bader School of Social Welfare, interviewing Dr. Helen Meyer from the Joseph J. Zilber School of Public Health.
Okay. I'm Helen Meyer. Hi, Helen. I'm Dimitri Topitsis. And you are, where are you working currently? So I am an assistant professor at the Zilber School of Public Health at University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee. What a coincidence. Do you work here too? (laughs) I work at the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee also. No way. Yeah, way. Isn't that crazy? I'm in the Helen Bader School of Social Welfare, an associate professor of social work, entering, I think, my 11th year in, uh, at UW-Milwaukee. Mm, wonderful. Yeah. Yeah, I'm in my fourth, wonderful. so trudging along. Yes, you are. <laughs> Fantastic. Four years. Four years. So um, I'm very curious to know, where were you before here? So what sure. was your sort of what was your undergraduate and graduate training like? And I don't want to like triple barrel questions, but how did you get into public health and epidemi- epidemiology and the particular research that you do? Yeah, great question. So Um, I did my undergraduate degree at the University of Virginia, Mm -hmm. and I was in a special program called, it was an interdisciplinary majors program called human biology. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't mean that I studied anatomy all the time. And what it was, it was basically a basic biology um, degree. Um, But instead of doing the upper level lab electives that you would need to get a BS in bio, you did um, uh, electives in humanities. And so I focused in on um, bioethics as my kind of humanities component. Um, And so from there, um, I went and I worked in D.C. for a while. I worked in healthcare consulting and um, intellectual property um, law because I thought I might want to do public health law. And working at a law firm, very quickly I said, oh, no, I'm a science person. Mm-hmm. And the you know, pendulum swung back um, to being interested in the science. And epidemiology is the science of public health. It's right. um, of the five disciplines. It's considered the cornerstone in the science of public health. And so um, I was interested in um, getting a master's, in, a master's of public health in epidemiology. And I gravitated to the University of Michigan because they had a hospital and molecular epi program. Mm-hmm. And what I uh, wanted to do, coming from my bioethics training and combining it with epidemiology and the science of public health, is really thinking about um, how do we conduct ethical quarantines, you know, and to, to be able to do that and to think about the intersection of ethics and public health, you need to know something about the agents that you might be potentially um, uh, putting into place quarantines for, mm-hmm. right? So that's why I really gravitated towards like molecular epi, infectious disease epi, cool. um, to gain that knowledge base to then be able to apply the ethics and and act in that manner. Um, and so I, I worked, um, I, I did my master's, and in my master's I took a social epidemiology class. Okay. And uh, just kind of, you know, mind blown, like, oh my gosh, of course social factors influence our health mm. and decided to... Um, continue on to get a PhD and really kind of do the intersection of social factors and infectious disease um, in health. And from there, I went and I did my postdoc at the National Institute of Environmental Health Sciences and the National Institute of Aging. Mm -hmm. It was actually the first interagency, or excuse me, inter-institute postdoc. So I had a joint appointment and looked at various autoimmune factors in healthy cohorts. So trying to think about immune dysfunction Mm -hmm. and different life factors, both social and environmental that might be associated with immune dysfunction in middle and older age, and then how that that immune dysfunction might impact our aging. Mm -hmm. Um, So from there, I got a tenure track job here and showed up in the fall of 2016. (laughs) 
That is fantastic. So a couple of follow-up questions, sure. is that, if that's all right. So can you define epidemiology for me and our wonderful podcast listeners? You mean you don't know what it is? Well, please help me. Um, so epidemiology is the study of the distribution of disease right. in populations, right. right? And so all of the different factors that would be associated with the distribution of disease in populations. So we're really concerned about population health Whereas your physician might be concerned with one individual's health, right. we're thinking more on populations and trying to move the needle to improve health on the population level. Got it. And mm -hmm. if I understand correctly, you're really interested in how the social determinants of health sort of show up in immune functioning. Yeah. Can you better kind of sure. unpack that? Yeah. So, you know, we are a multitude of exposures, right? We have a certain educational attainment. We live in different environments. Um, we have a whole host of life experiences, stress, um, that affect our health. And mm -hmm. a lot of my work tries to understand how that affects our health. So how does it get under our skin? Right. How do these various day-to-day -day, um, exposures or, you know, different things that you may accumulate over your life get under your skin to change your health trajectory? Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, that's, that's what I'm interested in. Got mm -hmm. it. And what... So how did how did you ultimately, if I understand correctly, mm. how did you ultimately sort of isolate immune functioning as one primary outcome of health? Well, I mean, if you think about your immune system, it's absolutely critical to being healthy, mm -hmm. right? I mean, we know that there's many different social factors that are associated with differing levels of immune function, mm -hmm. right? So um, in, in just one kind of example, if you have lower educational attainment, you may have the immune system profile that looks like someone who's actually 10 years older than you who has higher educational attainment, mm -hmm. right? So we see these social patternings in our immune function. And I mean, if you just think about aging, right, if you don't have a good immune function, if you don't have solid immune function, um, you know, you are not going to be able to respond well to a flu vaccine. Mm -hmm. You're, you know, potentially at risk for a whole host of other um other other negative health outcomes. I mean, your immune system is absolutely critical in, um, you know, n n in preventing cancer, yeah. you know, and, and yeah. other and other things. So it's really um, it's not it's it's you know, we know that stress influences immune function. So so it's this it's a mechanism by which our body internalizes these exposures. Right. right? But right. then also is so critical for how um, our health may play out in later life. So over time. So mm -hmm. it's critical, not just at a point in time, but it's mm -hmm. critical over, over time, time. Absolutely. And it responds to environmental stressors mm -hmm. or social determinants mm -hmm. of health. Right. I mean, there's plenty of studies out there mm -hmm. that show, you know, um, college students who are um, taking exams are more likely to get sick. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's it's professors, a, a professors, yeah. professors actually um, evaluating those exams, grading those exams. They're more likely to get sick, too, aren't <laughs> right. they not? Yeah. Sure. Okay, fair <laughs> enough. That's the right side of the equation. That's yeah. the outcome side of the equation. Mm -hmm. What about the left side of the equation? Mm -hmm. So what sorts of social determinants you had mentioned mm -hmm. educational attainment? What mm -hmm. sorts of other social determinants or environmental stressors mm -hmm. have you been really interested in isolating or in, in examining? Right. So um, in the past, I've looked at different, so I'm, I'm, I consider myself a life course epidemiologist. Okay. So I'm really interested in how our early life exposures influence our health later in life. Mm -hmm. So thinking about um, um, different exposures such as socioeconomic status, mm -hmm. what goes into actually that measurement of socioeconomic right. status. Um, so is it you know, your parents' educational attainment? Is it, did you have enough food to eat every day? Right. Um, you know, th thinking about those types of things. Right. Um, in terms of environmental exposures, I'm doing a lot with lead um, mm. here in the community now. Mm. Um, and so, um, yeah, it, it just kind of depends. Yeah. But yeah, thinking about, 
you know, and then, so that's like an early life stage, right? right. Um, and then in, you know, your adolescence, it's, you know, have you finished high school right. or, you know, right. various things like that. And then in later life, it's usually more related to occupational um, attainment mm -hmm. and, you know, what's Prestige. the job that you were in? Yeah, exactly. What's yep. the job that you've been in the longest? Prestige, managerial, non-managerial, yep. you know, it. that power, yep. that kind of stuff. Yep. Mm -hmm. so, so various determinants mm -hmm. or various indicators of socioeconomic status. Yeah. Got mm -hmm. it. As a mm -hmm. primary social determinant. Mm -hmm. Very cool. Yeah. Can I ask a, an additional sort of follow-up question? So what what do you see are sort of the primary implications of the, the, the research that you conduct? How can it potentially affect policy? How can it affect various services? How can it affect um, ultimately population health? What, what do you see as important implications of your work? Um, so that's... It's an easy answer and it's a complicated answer. Sure. So I think um, depending on the area of my research that you're looking at, it's mm -hmm. going to have different policy implications. So for some of the work that I'm doing in terms of um, why do some older adults respond well to flu vaccines mm -hmm. and others don't, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So if we can figure that out, we have the potential to improve health and health outcomes for a large amount of older adults mm -hmm. in our country and mm -hmm. in the world. Mm -hmm. um, and there's a really big push by the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Disease to get a universal flu vaccine right now. Mm -hmm. So um, some of the work I'm doing there is thinking about um, our first flu exposure and is that imprinting on our immune system and therefore we're preferentially um, boosting our immune response to those exposures mm -hmm. over um, more recent vaccination mm -hmm. exposures? Or is it more of an immunosenescence that, you know, individuals aren't responding well to flu vaccines because um, they have a, a more aged immune system, mm -hmm. right? So, and we don't know, right? Mm -hmm. These are some of the basic questions. So if I can figure that out, I mean, that goes a long way into helping um, understand how we can uh, create effectively create a universal flu vaccine and influenza, I mean, there's like $90 billion of healthcare associated costs mm -hmm. with it every year, you know, so mm -hmm. it could be impactful that way. Mm -hmm. um, I think some of the lead work that I do and thinking about lead exposure and the social patterning of lead exposure in our city, I mean, clearly there's um, lots of negative consequences uh, associated with lead exposure in children because we know that no lead level is safe. Mm -hmm. um, and so if we can <laughs> prevent children from being exposed to lead and doing that primary prevention, not just screening, but like removing it from the mm -hmm. windowsills and removing it from the paint, um, that is, you know, going to potentially mm -hmm. um, help a lot of children out, right? Sure. And put people on different trajectories mm -hmm. for, for their life. Yeah. yeah. That's fantastic. Yeah. Uh, do you have do you have partners in the agency? Or, sorry, partners in the community of mm -hmm. Milwaukee uh, that you tend to collaborate with? Yes, I do. Can you can you share a little bit about sure. that? Sure. So most of, so I, do, I collaborate in two distinct areas. Um, I do a lot of um, work with the United Community Center Sweet. on. Um, I'm part of their uh, Latino Aging Consortium. Okay. Um, so I've you know been the academic PI of a WPP grant, Wisconsin Partnership mm -hmm. Grant, um, for them. Um, trying to do, um, like holistic care, you know, how can we support not only the, um, individual who has been diagnosed with Alzheimer's or dementia, but also the caregiver and doing, you know, the full kind of like 360 wraparound care model, yeah. um, and support model for, yeah. for the caregivers. Um, I'm, um, I'm also, um, we were just a, I'm awarded a subcontract with the state, 
um, health department, and they're going to be installing a dementia care specialist out in Waukesha, and so I'll be the program evaluator on that. Mm-hmm. So working with the state as well as the Hispanic Resource Center at ProMed Healthcare mm-hmm. out in Waukesha. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in terms of lead, I work a lot with COAL, the Coalition on the Lead Emergency um, in Milwaukee, and so I'm on the education subcommittee there. So again, like trying to get out um, information on sources of lead exposure and what um, nice. individuals in the community can do about it. Um, also work with a little bit with the Milwaukee Health Department, helping them understand their data um, related to lead as well, too. Great, so, great, great. Yeah. Taking I'm out your, and about. <laughs> yeah, no, that's great. Taking uh, taking your research in the laboratory out into the community. That's yeah. sort of the Milwaukee idea. It's an ethic that a lot of researchers here on campus follow. Yeah. So we actually even had um, we actually even had an on public health event on mm-hmm. Monday, mm-hmm. Um, which was all about um, the community response to lead. And yeah. so I moderated a panel that had Dolores Green, um, Bruce Lanfear, um, a representative from Six. 16th Street Community um, Health Centers, Jamie um, Pershinger, as well as Ophelia Montragon from the Health Department. Wonderful. So, yeah, that was really well received and Mm. an important community conversation. Very good. Yeah. Um, Wonderful. So those are your community partnerships. Mm. How about across campus, Helen? Um, What other researchers or other departments or other centers do you tend to affiliate with or collaborate with here on campus? So most of my collaboration has been with Two individuals, one um, Noel Chesley mm-hmm. in the Department of Sociology. Sociology yeah. yeah, so we work um, we work together on lead and cool. water filters and um, that research. And then in the School of Public Health, I work a lot with uh, Dr. Amanda Simonek, mm-hmm. Um and we have an R twenty one that we're um, in the process of executing right now. So that is looking at. Um, kind of inter- intergenerational determinants of um, preterm birth, specifically wow. looking at inflammatory profiles at birth. So how social context, so mother's socioeconomic status, how that influences the immune profile of offspring at birth wow. and um, looking at differences in, in birth outcomes. So small for gestational age and uh-huh. um, preterm birth. Critical in Milwaukee now, mm-hmm. uh, birth dispar- birth health disparities. Yeah. Can mm-hmm. you explain for our audience what an R21 is? Sure. So it is a funding mechanism mm-hmm. um, from the National Institutes of Health, and it's a two-year grant um, that's meant for kind of exploratory and high-risk research. Yeah. Um, and so hopefully this research that we're doing will be great um, data to f- make arguments to fund for future research. Right, right. Mm-hmm. It's innovative and sort of new in nature, novel in nature. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we like to think so. Yeah, 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 yeah. Wonderful. Well, yeah. anything else that you'd like to add about your about your really innovative and uh, um, basic yet applied research? You do both basic research, mm-hmm. but you're also doing work, research that's applied. In other words, it has very significant implications implications for the for the community. So anything else you want to add about that? I don't know. I mean, I think the applied, it's just, you know, living in Milwaukee that has some serious health needs, mm. um, especially some really stark health disparities. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, it's hard not to want to be involved and try and help. And so, yeah, I come from this, you know, very research heavy background, but yeah. that, you know, it's hard not to to get involved. You know, you just want to help. Yeah. So yeah. just show up and I have a set of skills and how can I help? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Did, so. did that attracted you to attracted to UW Milwaukee initially? Like so what 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 features of the university might have attracted attracted you when you were considering job placements? So actually uh, it's Zilber's mission. Mm-hmm. It's the fact that we are explicitly focused on social um, social and environmental justice mm-hmm. and ameliorating health disparities. Mm-hmm. Um, and I I I take that mission very seriously, and it's evident in my work. Um, and I think that, you know, not every school makes that part of their um, core 
purpose. Mm -hmm. And we've just, as we build this school, it is at the forefront. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we've got faculty that, you know, they're not just saying, oh, yes, I want to ameliorate health disparities, but they're doing the work to make that happen. And so I think um, like our epidemiology track, um, we we teach epidemiology through a social epidemiology lens, right? Mm-hmm. So in my epidemiology class, when I when I learned Epi 101 or whatever, um, you know, it's, a, you know, thinking about lipids and heart attack might be the example. Mm-hmm. Well, we focus on, we give examples of socioeconomic status mm-hmm. and various health outcomes, right? right. So we're, um, we're teaching it through a health equity lens. And I, I think that that's really important for our public health practitioners um, really cool. in this day and age. Mm-hmm. Really cool. Yeah. So kind of a philosophical final question. What do you think drives health, the health of young people, but probably most importantly, the health of aging adults, given that's one of your primary foci? What drives health and well-being? Oh, that's a loaded question. Um, a question. I mean, it's complicated, mm-hmm. right? I think that we are the sum of our exposures over our life mm. and everyone's kind of had their own path. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, in terms of thinking in big solutions in public health, you have to address root causes. Right. And so socioeconomic inequality, socioeconomic disadvantage, for sure, mm. access to health care, mm. um, particularly as you're aging mm-hmm. and, you know, complex systems is mm. difficult, mm-hmm. right? Um, I think that um, it, you know you have to you have to have policies that support health, mm. right? And we are overly focused um, in general on not so much victim blaming, but in individual level solutions mm-hmm. when really we need to be looking at root causes and um, you're not, you're not just you're not just recommending a policy that says oh nurses are going to have a one-on-one intervention with people right mm-hmm. we need policies that focus on root causes at the societal level to move the needle right. i think so is it fair to say for instance this may be a, a bit of an arcane term but good poverty policy is good health policy yeah i yeah. mean poverty and health are explicitly exactly. tied together right. so yeah right. absolutely absolutely i lied i have one more really okay. critical question um Looking forward, looking sort of into your time horizon, where do you see your research heading? So, I, I mean, the the investigations into lead both in um, national data sets, local data sets, statewide data sets is just growing. Mm. Um, we're doing some really interesting work. I have a graduate student, Emily Lynch, right now um, who's doing some really interesting work about historic disinvestment in Mm. Milwaukee. Mm. So there's um, data from redlining in the 1930s, Mm. and we're now looking at mortgage data um, from current times and just kind of showing that, you know, um, we, or well, we hypothesize that we'll see the same neighborhoods in the 1930s that were disadvantaged or the same neighborhoods that are disadvantaged now. And what do these historic disinvestment practices have on our health and tying that and potentially looking at infant mortality as well as other health outcomes in our city. Um, So that's just an area that continues to grow. Um, And um, another part is just trying to really think about, um, you know, how we are measuring immunological aging and um, thinking about different markers of immune dysfunction, biomarkers that might be useful in helping us get a better picture of what's going on under our skin in the immune system. Really fascinating. Again, really focused on both the left and the right side of the equation. So what are the inputs? Mm -hmm. For instance, housing. Mm -hmm. Again, back to our previous statement, good housing policy is good health policy, but also really looking at a very clear manifestation of health being immune functioning. Yeah. And if I could actually just give an example of that is so um, in Milwaukee, 
um, you know, we see that, you know, that it's not just um, individuals who are in poverty have higher lead exposure, you know, children who are in poverty have higher lead exposure, Mm -hmm. but it's actually children who are also renting, Mm -hmm. right? So of Mm -hmm. families who are renters Mm -hmm. that have astronomically high um, risk for lead exposure. And so, you know, it's that intersectional piece. And so other cities have enacted um, policies and legislation to require that um, your the rental properties are made lead safe before they can rent, right? right. To get that certificate of that you may occupy right. this this place, you know, um, in Cleveland, they just right. um, pass these laws, and in Rochester, you know, that's a, 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 a also a focus, right? So making again safe housing is definitely absolutely um, tied to health. Right. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. Cool. Well, thank you so much. And thanks to both Dimitri and Helen for enlightening us with this awesome episode of Partners for Health. Partners for Health is recorded and produced on the traditional lands of the Potawatomi, Ho-Chunk, and Menominee along the southwest shores of the Michigami, North America's largest system of freshwater lakes, where the Milwaukee, Menominee, and Kinnikinick rivers meet, and the people of Wisconsin's sovereign Ashinabe, Ho-Chunk, Menominee, Oneida, and Mohican nations remain present. We're grateful to live and work here. If you'd like to know more about the First Nations of Wisconsin, please visit the Electiquini Institute through UWM. Partners for Health is an initiative between the College of Health Sciences, the College of Nursing, the Helen Bader School of Social Welfare, and the Joseph J. Zilber School of Public Health. This podcast would not be possible without the facilities of the UWM libraries and the fine work of my co-producer, David Fraser, from the Centers for Urban Population Health. Again, I am Carrie Wade, health sciences librarian, and this fine product was made in the good land of Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Thank you so much for listening.